I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Joan Bolwer. Uh, her book, her new book is Worthy from Cornfields to Corner Office of Microsoft. No one expected Jane, the scrappy girl from the cornfields of Iowa, who paid for college selling used carpets to become a leader of billion-dollar businesses and a top Microsoft executive. She now reflects on her unconventional path from poverty to success seamlessly, blending humor, introspection, and a fiery spirit. She confronts societal norms and the demanding realm of corporate America. Jane delves deep, sharing her triumphs, personal struggles, and battle with bulimia, all approached with genuine transparency and compassion. What truly sets this memoir apart is her perspective on success. For her, it's not about mere titles or individual milestones. It's about collaboration, reaching back to lift others, and recognizing that true success is a collective journey. Jane has launched $3 billion businesses, been VP of the largest merger in the history of the United States, forged global alliances, and served on many boards, including boys and girls clubs. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Jane. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Appreciate it. Well, I'm going to start the show with you have been called, uh, and I'm and I'm not sure who I'm quoting, but you've been called a bulldog, a bitch, an idiot, and brilliant all in the same week. So does that describe you? <laughs> Is... <laughs> Depending, I guess, on the person and the perspective, it does. Um, certainly I have um, been, one per- been someone that's tried to stand up and show up for other people, and sometimes that can be called uh, depending on your perspective, a bulldog or a bitch, uh, I think it was brilliant and inspiring depending on your perspective. But yes, uh, I remember that day quite well and the challenges we were going through and going under and stood up for myself turned out to be the right thing. And, um, yeah. And that's a lot of what the story is actually is about showing up, standing up and lifting up first for yourself, which was a hard thing to learn coming from rural Iowa. Um, and then ultimately doing it for other people. Let's talk about where you came from, because you said it was difficult. I mean, very difficult, given where you did come from. So where did you come from? Talk about Jane, Jane in, in the very beginning. Sure. I was born in Carroll, Iowa, a really great place to be from. As a small community, I was the fourth of five kids, born in a one-bedroom house, and um, really not much was expected of me. There were no expectations, I think I said, other than stay on the good side of the church and the law in that order. Um, but at the same time, having no expectations meant I had no limitations. So, you know, in rural Iowa, um, there wasn't a lot in your pocket, so you figured out how to do a lot with what you had, and that was kind of the formation of, of who I was and what I did. Uh, you know, I grew up it makes it sound like I was really poor, but if you looked up and down the block, there were a whole lot of people just like me and my family. So never did I really feel as though I was any different or that I didn't have what I needed because if I didn't, someone else always did and it always seemed to work out. I was born with the philosophy, um, you won't be given much, but you can get anything you want if you work hard enough. And I did. You know, I want to, that comment, you know, you could, if you work hard enough, you can get anything that you want. Let's talk about that. You know, they tell young kids and they tell that, yes, if you work hard enough, you, you can do whatever you want to 
you can be whatever you want to be. Is that really true? I mean, aren't there certain attributes that one has to have or opportunities or maybe focus on what or become aware of what your passions are, what your abilities are? I I always, you know, can you really become anything you want to be? Yeah. It sounds trite, doesn't it? Um, Here's what I, here's what I think. I, I literally did not know of a world outside of my town or, or maybe my county. I don't think I saw a town of 100,000 people until I was in my teens. I didn't see the ocean until I was 25. So I kind of laugh a little bit when people talk about five-year plans or they angst so much about which degree they get in college and what, their path, what they're going to be when they grow up. I got a degree in forestry because a nun listened to me one day asking what I was going to be what I wanted to do after high school, and I hadn't a clue. I told her what I liked, and she said, yeah, you should go to college and, and, and major in forestry. You like the outdoors. You're good at, at uh, science. Yeah, that's what you should do. Now, now, keep in mind, this is Iowa. There's like four trees in Iowa. Um, but I got a degree. I went to college and got a degree in forestry, and I would say that what I did and what I would encourage other people to do is not so much worry about the destination but say yes to the process. When an opportunity comes up and it makes you happy, it dings your bell, it's passion, it's what you're happy about, do it. And ultimately, another door will open, another door will open. And so if you follow that passion, if it aligns to your strengths, because most likely it will in your interests, then you will be defining your own success. And that, that yardstick of success, we have to remember, everybody's yardstick for success is different. And I got in trouble when I started using someone else's yardstick to measure my success because that wasn't what was important to me. So how did so you when get I in trouble? How did you get in trouble with that? I think they can. Say it again. How, how did you get in trouble with that? What happened? You're using somebody else's yardstick for success. I think for me to get from um, a small town girl to the corner office of Microsoft, I followed my own path. I was in a little bit of an unconventional path. And as I became more, quote, successful, more visible in the eyes of others and leading more and more people, there became um, an expectation of how I would look, how I would talk, how I would lead, how I would do things. And when I tried to conform to that, it was so uncomfortable for me. It just didn't fit who I was and what I wanted to be. And ultimately, I became a person that I didn't feel comfortable and like, frankly. And in that way, I lost who I was and what was core to me. I literally went to Microsoft at one point and was told what I should wear, what I shouldn't wear, how I should speak, um, that the way that I was was not going to work and it was not going to um, be successful. So I needed to change. I was literally got a, a personal shopper and that's the external thing. But on the internal things, I became to follow the lead of others and how they led. And it just did not resonate with the, um, with what had worked for me and who I was. Well, you were able to make that pivot and change. How long were you doing that? Like changing your clothes and getting a personal shopper. That's as you say, external. And then the internal stuff that kind of follows that too, which did with you. So when did you finally realize this is not work? This is not working. And what I'm going to take the risk and I'm jumping off this bandwagon. This is not for me. Actually, I would say the risk is what got me there. 
doing the things that were unconventional. When I was 30 years old, I was offered a job work, uh, doing marketing for the 16 countries south of Mexico. I was 30 years old. I had a one-and-a-half-year-old child. I'd be commuting every week to and from South America. I'd never been outside of the U.S. And, um, and I was a white woman who didn't speak Spanish. It made no sense for me to take that job. And I did. And it was brilliant, and I loved it, and it was difficult, and I, it was a challenge, and I felt overwhelmed, but I did it. It was one of the highlights of my career and personal life. And I did those kind of things over and over again, not because I was brilliant, not because I was better than other people, but because I said yes and so on. So I would argue that when I tried to conform to others, I wasn't taking risks. I wasn't doing those things. And the risk wasn't um, in stepping away from that, it was in not stepping away. Um, so it was really at Microsoft where I lost that sense of true north. And I was failing in my role as a result. I went in every day and tried to be someone else. I was unsuccessful. I listened to the voices of others that undermined fundamentally what had gotten me to the one of the top executive positions at Microsoft. I was one of a very few number of women uh, in the executive ranks at Microsoft, surrounded by people who were born and bred in, in technology, male, generally what you would think of as a stereotype male, um, you know, working with Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer in the game, very heady stuff. And I was, well, no one can make you feel anyway, but I felt like that hick from Iowa that didn't have much to contribute because I was quite different. And so I decided gosh, different isn't good. And I want to fit in. I want to, I want to play with the big boys. Uh, and ultimately, that brought me to my knees. I literally, after one meeting, was in my closet sobbing and crying, thinking, what, where, how? How did I get here? Who am I? What is this all about? Uh, and it was my husband who ultimately handed me back the yardstick that had uh, and how I had to find success together with him and others. So and, you um, uh, you emerged from the closet, I, I assume. And uh, mm -hmm. I did. Yeah, you did. I, I just want to ask, or maybe backtrack a little bit, because like Microsoft and you were with the big guys, um, they saw something in you. What what did they did? I mean, how did that? They saw obviously saw something in you as well as um, you know your motivation to get where you got in the company. But what did they see in you? What do you think they? Uh, well, maybe, what did they see in you in the beginning? Well, they recruited me for several months before I said yes to even talking to them. When I first got the call from the recruiter, I said thanks, no thanks. I was forty years old, and they called back and they called back and. They ultimately sent my children an Xbox, and my husband said, Jane, you need to tell them to pound salt or you need to go talk to them. And I was 40 years old, and my husband and I had been married for 20 years, and we had agreed that we never wanted to be fat, dumb, and happy. And that's what we were becoming at the job that I was in. I had ascended to, uh, to the highest marketing position, was well-known nationally as a, as a good marketer, brilliant marketer. I brought to life several billion-dollar businesses and brands. And that's what Microsoft said they wanted. They wanted somebody from the outside. They wanted someone who knew consumer marketing. They wanted someone to fix the potpourri of brands that they had and uh, figure out how to lasso those brands and make them relevant to consumers. So I was specifically brought in to be different. But as is so often what happens when someone different comes in, it's uh, and Microsoft was a culture known for eating its young. And man, I must have been sugar-coated because – 
uh, I came in and the traditional old boy network looked at me and said, uh-uh, uh, whatever I did outside the walls of Microsoft was irrelevant and you better toe the line once you get in here if you want to be successful. And it's almost childish, some of the things that occurred, changing meetings, changing budgets, uh, after the fact, just lots of things to undermine. Um, but yeah, I think um, so often is the case in, in life, you think, gosh, what I really need and want is something different to teach me something new or to get me to a different place that I can't get there by myself. And then when it gets there, it becomes a threat. It becomes that different thing that makes us uncomfortable. And it turns out we really don't want um, to embrace something that's so different, so uncomfortable, because it threatens kind of the kings of the castles. What would you say to other people who are trying to do, I mean, obviously, uh, most of us or many of us are not going to be able to perhaps obviously accomplish, uh, have the same kinds of accomplishments that you have. But if you're sitting down and you're talking to another group of young women, let's say, uh, what would you say to them? What do you say to them? So the year that I left Microsoft, I looked at my calendar and I was mentoring, support, uh, sponsoring, meeting for coffee with 27 different women. So, I, yes, I was highly caffeinated. Um, and ultimately, they were all different levels, from entry level to the most senior executive. And consistently, when I met with these women, many of them had many comments and thoughts and comments, imposter syndrome, wanting to know what my secret sauce was. And there is no secret sauce. There is none. Uh, except that you need to know your own yardstick, understand what makes you successful, and stand up show up and lift up for yourself, stand up for yourself. I can empower you. I can enable you. I can encourage you. But if you don't have your own courage, your own power, if you don't have and claim that ability, your own worth, no one can do that for you. So oftentimes, honestly, Catherine, what I did is I held up a mirror to the women and showed them what they did and gave them the lens through which they could see their own success. If you think about the success many women have, it's despite or in addition to the other things they have in their lives, whether it's being a mother, being a daughter, being taking care of the household, um, striving in oftentimes what is an unconventional uh, career or path or overcoming other things and holding a light up to people and, and having them claim their own worth so that they can in turn create a team, create a business, create opportunities for others that build on that build on that is um frankly, what I do when I talk to people. I find Jane. out what they're interested in. I find out what their passion is. I find out how they how they move forward in that, and I build upon that versus try to change them. Well, I'm thinking about choices, and, and your choices have been good ones. I mean, you, you become aware of where, you're very much aware of who you, you eventually become very much aware, or you did in the past, of who you are, where, you know, what wasn't working for you. But you've also, and, and you brought up your, your husband, I mean, you made a good choice I'm assuming, in a partner. I mean, you said he was the one who helped you kind of get out of this morass of trying to be something that you weren't. So is that something, you know, having somebody, uh, whoever that person may be, making a good choice for a partner or maybe a spouse? Or, mm -hmm. or, yeah. How, how important is that? It's everything. Uh, to surround yourself with people that support you, love you, whether you are, quote, successful or you're not successful, um, and are there uh, for you. I have a very large extended family by choice. 
And I want to be clear that I probably a pivot point at Microsoft was when I just finally acknowledged that I didn't know the answers. And I stopped trying to pretend I did. And I started finding others who knew more than I did and gathering them around and helping and spending my energy making them better than they thought they could or would be and helping them see how they, their successes and, and what they could do. So I, I, I took over the Windows business and literally, because I was failing at other things, I think they thought I was going to fail when they gave me the Windows business to manage. And I went to howitworks.com and looked up operating system and went in to manage a billion-dollar business without knowing what an operating system was. And so I want to be really clear that I'm not the person that had all the answers, but whether it was my husband or the people on the team or my friends collectively, they supported me, and in turn, I removed the barriers to their success. I helped them be successful. I contributed to their success, and from a business perspective, from a personal perspective, tried to do my best to contribute to them. I, so, well, I really I have to share that and just say that it wasn't me. It wasn't certainly all me. But one of the things you've said, and I'm quoting you, my focus has pivoted from making a living to making a difference. That's correct. Uh, yeah. And, that, I, um, and that's why I, I think it's important to note, I wrote the book because I wanted to share with other women my journey, or men, and men. I wanted to share my journey and my men, so they, my, my uh, learnings. So hopefully they'll struggle less and they'll know that they're not alone. And I was given an opportunity from that gnarly old nun to go to college. She helped me get a $320 scholarship, and if it weren't for that, I'd probably still, well, I wouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> And so I'm donating 100% of the proceeds from my book to the Boys and Girls Club so that it can fund scholarships for youth of the years, kids, and others who wouldn't otherwise maybe have that opportunity that I was given. That gnarly old nun, what happened to her? Haha, <laughs> Sister Francis Xavier. You know, I, I sometimes wonder, um, feel bad that I didn't go back and acknowledge her and tell her what, hap- uh, what I did, but I did watch her from the, from the sidelines. Uh, she was one of those old people that was about four foot nothing, but she had lightning bolts coming from her eyes. She was so passionate and she was so committed and she was so in her, her thing of what, what her strengths was um, that I don't know that I ever said thank you to her, but I think I took what she gave me and did the most with it. And that's probably the best thanks I could ever give her. I think she's probably still 120 years old somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> She's still doing what she's done. They just live on and lots of other people. You, uh, so empowering women, obviously that's one of helping women to, and surpass their limitations and reach their potential. Uh, I mean, you must get a lot of really good feedback. I mean, what people come, you know, you say you didn't, weren't able to talk to the gnarly old nun, but what about the women who, tell you or come back to you and express or tell you about the impact you've made on their lives. Yeah. Don't, don't make me cry. I'm getting a lot of that now because my book was launched yesterday. Uh Um, and, uh, I, I'm embarrassed to say some of the people who are reaching out to me, uh, I, I don't remember the way they remember. I had someone reach out to me yesterday and say, Hey, I don't think I've ever thanked you enough for giving me the opportunity 
for hiring me when no one else would after I had my breakdown and you believed in me and you carried me for a couple months. And honest to gosh, I remembered right away seeing her name in my inbox and I smiled because I remember her as an incredible woman, super strong, super capable. I didn't remember at all any of the other stuff because that's not what I, that's not what I see when I see people. And so um, I think we all give and get, right? I can do the same to other people. I can look at so many people in my life, the people that helped me launch this book when I lost faith, the people who got me to the corner office, all of those people that contributed to my, to my life in every way, uh, just as well as someone could contribute to, that I contributed to someone else. So I think I, yes, many people are reaching out and many people have acknowledged the role that I played in their life and in their career, to which I say back at you and back at others. That's what we're here for, isn't it? Yep. I, well, I, I do want to reiterate, though, it was only in, once I, once I kind of came into my own, not financially or any of those other things, but once I started to claim my own worth, that I was able to turn that lens around and help other people claim theirs and stand up for other people as well. If you can't stand up for yourself, it's really hard to stand up and support others. So it kind of takes on a life of its own, I guess is what you're saying. Once you're able to do that for yourself, it just kind of, it just I it keeps it. on... Yeah, I do. I, I love it. It's, it is a virtuous flywheel or perpetual flywheel. The more you help others, the more you get in return. Gosh, that sounds again, so corny. Um, but it's true. Yeah. I, I, I love it. What about your kids? What about your children? Where did, yeah. I have two joy boys. One is 30 and one is 25. And the 25 year old, when I was writing the book, he, um, picked it up and he started to help me in uh, terms of the section on Microsoft was tough. I couldn't remember the stories as much as I could remember the feelings. And there were many feelings that weren't super positive. And so I had a hard time writing about that. And so he would pick up those stories and he would say, he, I remember him saying very clearly coming to me and saying, Hey mom, this doesn't sound like you. This isn't the voice that I hear in my head when you speak. And it's not coming through in that way. Just so you know. I thought, wow. Um, and that helped me. And my other son, uh, and I'm incredibly proud. They're beautiful boys. They call me all the time. It's wonderful. My oldest son didn't read the book until fairly recently. Uh, and he said, it's not at all what I thought it was going to be. I see you through a different lens because um, I always saw you as someone, you know, up, I always thought of your successes differently. And now I know you can relate to me. And he called me one day when he was having a hard time at work. And he said, you know, Mom, I would never have called you for advice because uh, I'm having a kind of a panic attack here, except that I know you've done that. You've been in the same place. And if I hadn't read your book, I wouldn't have known that. And honestly, for that reason alone, if I, I would have wrote the book for no other reason than that. Um, so, so the book in writing the book, so he was able, to, I was going to say, so writing the book, he was able, you say that he saw you through a different filter. He saw you perhaps more vulnerable than he had seen you or that he, he didn't understand or hadn't seen your vulnerabilities. Is that what he was saying? I mean, cause you're a tough act to follow for the boys. They've seen me, um, I'll be honest, uh, they see me through the voice of other people. I mean, they see me every day and they see me being vulnerable and those things. But whenever people came to the house, whenever I had my leadership team or had the teams over to my house, they would 
see and hear people give positive feedback about me or see me recognize other people or whatever. And they, um, that was their, more their image of me. They didn't see as much of the struggle. But I, for example, did not talk about my bulimia. And I almost didn't put it in the book. And I struggle still sometimes to say, oh, my gosh, I don't want people to read about that because it is a very vulnerable, difficult thing to talk about. Um, and I never shared that with my boys. And so having those conversations, having them know about that, I talked about it around the edges, but never overtly like I did on the book. Um, you know, that, that opened a, a conversation that we hadn't had. Well, we only yeah. have a couple minutes left, so and I also want readers to read about it because we didn't even get to that. So, uh, but that is all in the book, and it, it's not a primary part in the book. It's just one of fifty stories. Okay, but I do talk about it throughout. It's true. Well, the title of the book, Worthy, From Cornfields to Corner Office of Microsoft, and I've been talking to the author, Jane Bolware. And Jane, tell us where we can go for more information about you and about the book and the work you're doing. Well, I'm not complicated, so if you want to learn more about me or reach out to me, go to janebulware.com uh, or call, or just send me a note, Jane Bulware, uh, jane at janebulware.com. And the book is available any form you want to read it. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, hard copy, soft copy, ebook, uh, and the audiobook will be coming out shortly that I've done in my own voice. And Catherine, if I could, the book is called Worthy, but if you look at the cover, it's got the un crossed off. And I would argue the stories are as much about overcoming the un as they are about discovering the worthy. Ah, the un is crossed out. Yes. Unworthy. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's very important. And that, yeah, it could be un a lot of things, unable, yeah. un, unsure, un, uh, et cetera. And it's in our lives about crossing out the uns and focusing on the worthy, the courage, the power, the able. The good stuff. Thanks so much for being oh, well, on the show today. Was... Book, to be clear. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's how yeah. you can reach me. Uh, right. I would encourage you, if you would, to buy the book. I want to reinforce that 100% of the proceeds go to the Boys and Girls Clubs to fund these scholarships. Well, we really appreciate your being on the show today and sharing, all the, obviously, all that you've done. Go out, buy the book, Unworthy. And um, uh, yeah, you got to go to Worthy. If you go to the website, just put in Worthy Jane Bulware, and I'll pop right up. Okay, great. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 